Hello Saints, Todd here with SafeguardYourSoul.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so blessed to have these moments together in the Word of God. And remember, Saints, there's nothing, there's nothing, no thing happening on God's planet that is even remotely as important as the work of the gospel and feeding the sheep of Jesus Christ for whom He died to save so that they can grow in grace, they can be edified, they can be equipped for the work of the ministry according to the Scriptures. And let me just guarantee you this one thing, by the grace of God, this outreach will continue to unapologetically endeavor to preach the whole of the Word of God regardless of who gets offended or not. In Jesus' name. And please remember that your prayers and support are vital to this operation. Thank you. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 4 says that God would have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Notice we see there in that verse what we see throughout New Testament and Old Testament scripture, justification, which is immediate, that's depicted in the word and conveyed in the word saved. He would have all men to be saved and doesn't stop there and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And Jesus taught that as we continue in his word after being saved, we're going to know the truth and the truth is going to make us free. And how does that happen? How does sanctification happen? Let's talk about it. Justification, which immediately begins the process of God in sanctifying or setting apart his people. And many of you, I believe, And this message is clearly to the body of Christ, those that are already born again, is going to be very encouraging to you. Notice while God justifies the saints when he saves them, sanctification is according to how that justified believer attends upon the things of the Lord and implies them, and namely the cross life, the crucified life that Jesus taught and is at the center of the original God. Gospel, although it's been lost in the modern church, Jesus said, if any man will come after me, that means to follow him. You must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him daily. And that's how sanctification transpires in the life of a believer. Unfortunately, many of us have wasted not everything, but much time has been wasted without the cross message. But we thank God that it is being restored among the remnant of Christ elect. The cross is central to this putting off, if you will, of the old man and putting on the new man. That is the resurrection life of Christ that results from us being dead and buried with Christ as we not only observe that positionally, but we have it applied practically on a daily basis. Fasting and prayer is the cross and greatly aids in the putting off of this old man. Colossians 3, Ephesians 4 speaks of the putting off of the old man and the putting on of the new man. And the people, it says in Exodus 32, let's talk about this. Exodus 32, they sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This is the depiction of the flesh and why it must be ruthlessly or mercilessly, if you will, crucified daily. Luke 9, 23 and 24, and Paul said it this way, I am crucified with Christ 
but nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me, in the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Colossians 3, 3. Ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. You see, the flesh, the evil, fallen, iniquitous nature called the old man and the flesh in the Bible must be crucified daily or it will rule in place of Christ and will perpetuate its corruption in you and I and those around us. Romans 6, let me encourage you to make Romans chapter 6 your spiritual meat each morning as you arise to seek the Lord, my friend. The cross or the crucified life is the only divine solution to putting off the deeds of the body, the old man, and for the resurrection life of Christ to spring forth in us and raise us up to be conformed to the image of Christ. There is no shortcut, my friend. There is no shortcut. You know, usually for us, I know it was that way for me, we start hearing this cross message and then we wander off from it because we don't have a lot of friends that are talking about the cross. More and more are though now, and that's such a blessing. And so we fade away without the cross, but we've got to stop today and realize we can't fade away from the cross. We must camp out on this message of the cross and something in you, if you're born again, is telling you it's the Holy Spirit of God. We know the voice of God. He is quickening us to the cross because that's the only way he can raise us up. And that's what God wants to do. Romans 8, 11, the same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead shall also quicken or raise you up. And we know that Jesus had to first be crucified before he was raised from the, notice, the dead. See, God doesn't raise up anybody who's not first dead and buried. And many of us, all of us that are born again, desire to be used of God to minister his word and to help other people come to know him. If you don't have that desire in you, I personally, based on the authority of scripture, doubt that you're saved. You see, your life is still all about yourself. That's all you care about is yourself. You just want Jesus to get you out of hell. And so you need to really get saved. You need to come have a come to Jesus meeting and truly repent, acknowledging all of your wicked spiritual adultery, covetousness, self-idolatry, etc. And that repent and confess that you have not put God first, that Jesus Christ is not your first love. Because when you do, you're going to be having freely received and you're going to want to freely give. Matthew 10, verse 8. And so the raising up of God can be seen as the outcome of sanctification after we've, of course, been justified. Notice in the term little and little in Exodus 23, 30, and this is what I wanted to get to in this message here. I was observing this morning, and it's still early morning, that God changes us little by little. That's what little and little means here in this verse we're going to read, and not all at once. And he has a reason for that. Notice Exodus 23, 30. God had saved his people out of Egypt. And that represents God saving you out of the world, out of sin. There's only two kingdoms, the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of the world. By little and little. I want you to underline that in your Bible. Exodus chapter 23, verse 30. I don't believe you're ever going to forget this term the rest of your life on this earth with Christ. By little and 
little, he tells Israel, I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. First of all, we observe that it's little and little that God sanctifies us. I believe every earnest believer at times feels like he or she is just being matured so painstakingly, slowly or gradually. And sometimes we might even feel like, man, what am I doing wrong? It may be a little bit of an encouragement in a certain sense that it's little and little that God drives out from before us the enemies of our lives. Now, these are depicted in the Old Testament as physical enemies. He just before this verse depicts the Hivites and the Hittites, etc. But these are just an illustration for the salvation that was to come and now is here and is in us, the salvation of Christ, where we're justified by his blood, the book of Romans, and we are being set apart. That's what sanctification means. Little and little, God is driving out from before us these enemies. And until thou be increased, this is a key word here, increased and inherit the land. Jesus wants to inherit or pervade, if you will, and conquer the land of our hearts and our lives. And that takes our compliance and in accordance with the stated will of God, which is the cross of Christ, the crucified life where the old man is being put off and we're being raised up into the new man, if you will, even that which is after the image of Jesus Christ, Ephesians chapter 4 speaks of. Beginning in verse 21, Ephesians 4, If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And then he goes into specifics about the sanctified life and walking free and victorious over sin. Now, at the same time God delivers us little and little, the progress of some is impeded by their great unbelief. You'll notice in Numbers 13 and 14, God tells his people that they he's already given them the promised land, which is the land of God in the lives of his people on earth, and they're dwelling with him and being sanctified unto him and also eternal glory. But some of the people were afraid of the enemy they saw in the land when Joshua sent forth spies to check out this land of promise, the promised land that God said he had given them. That's key. And God has saved us. That's absolute concerning those that are truly born again. As, as we survey the land of this world and see the enemy, the Goliaths, the giant of this world that would represent the sin that we've been caught up in all our lives when we were without God and alienated from the life of God in this world, unsaved and therefore not set apart, sanctified unto him. It can be frightful, you know, seeming hugeness of these Goliath sins and temptations of the world. But we must walk by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God for he that cometh to God must believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's your part. And according to how you diligently seek God to that degree in proportion to your sincerity and diligence, 
in seeking him daily, crying out to him to set you apart. To that proportion, are you going to be sanctified? I know people that are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s and are still grappling with sins that should have been overcome many years ago. So the fact that God delivers us little and little does not justify our rebellion and stiff-necked dispositions, as was the case here in Numbers 13 with some of the people. But Caleb said he stilled the people before Moses verse 30 of Numbers 13 and said, let us go up at once and possess it for we are well able to overcome it. In other words, if God said this land is ours, guess what? He's going to complete what he began. That's what the word of God says. First Thessalonians, may I remind you, chapter 5, verse 24, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. God is not a man that he should lie. He told them that this land was theirs and they feared because they walked by sight not by faith and saw the giants that were seemingly insurmountable and they certainly were to anybody walking in the flesh and that's the key to remember here anybody walking in the flesh is viewing sin as a goliath just like the brothers of David did. David was able to square this giant up and look, stare him down and overcome him because he had been fellowshipping with and worshiping God in the pasture, learning of the Lord. So his faith was so big in God. And therefore, when he looked at the giant, he didn't run to God and say, oh, look how big he is. I'm scared. No, he ran to the giant and told him how big his God was and that he was going to take him out and he did and that's this is the man with the heart after god which is something we should desire to be said of us that that is a man that is a woman after my own heart somebody says well i don't know brother i've not been sinless since i've been saved well join the club and neither was david but still after all of that his great exploits and his fellowship with christ his slaying of the lion the bear and Goliath and his rule in Israel as king was fantastic. And then he had a season of sin. Most of us have had more than one season of sin, but we can take hope in the great mercy of God. In fact, he calls it in the Old and New Testament, the sure mercies of David. Aren't you glad that we have these examples in the Bible of people like David and Peter, people that loved the Lord, but yet fell and sinned, but yet God restored them? Aren't you glad? Doesn't that give you hope? And later on, after all the good and bad in David's life, God said, he's a man after mine own heart. Why? Because David knew how to repent, Psalm 51. Do you know how to repent? So Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, this land that God had given them, for we are well able to overcome it. And so that's how we should look at this sanctification process, though there are obstacles in the way. There are things that tempt you. There are things you may still be dabbling with that need to be severed from your life. And God says that he's called you to be holy as he is holy, and therefore he has called you to that that promised land of sanctification and that you are well able to possess it and to overcome it just like Joshua, a man of faith. Amen. Numbers chapter 13, verse 30. And then, you know, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, many examples of how by faith enemies were conquered and great exploits were done 
by the patriarchs of God. So notice here in Numbers chapter 13, continuing in verse 31, but the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. In other words, physically, these people are large. They are giants and they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. I mean, it's like the average sized person trying to get in a physical altercation with one of these NBA guys, okay? They're like minimum of, most of them are over 6'5 easily. And then it says, and there we saw the giants. See, they were living by sight, not by faith. Well, we walk by faith and not by sight. Second Corinthians 5, 7. Memorize that verse, very simple, isn't it? For we walk by faith and not by sight. Say it three times with me. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Second Corinthians 5 7 for we walk by faith and not by sight second corinthians 5 7 one more time for we walk by faith and not by sight second corinthians 5 7 amen you got to force feed that memorization of scripture one of the things that'll help you is writing it down on an index card and declaring it that i live by faith and not by sight i find myself that just rolls out of my spirit man or it emerges and comes forth at times when i'm faced with different giants if you will things that seem un- insurmountable and they are to the fleshly man and that's why these unbelievers these people that are fainting in the after they saw the giants instead of living by faith in the God who had told them, I've already given you this land, needed a bolt of encouragement. And sometimes like David, you got to encourage yourself in the Lord and to declare, I live by faith and not by sight. I am going to walk in everything that God has ordained me to walk in with the full victory of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. For we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And that's the same spirit of faith, if you will, that you see, in fact, Paul used that term, I believe, the spirit of faith in 2 Corinthians 4.14. It's not the faith we need. Amen. Verse 13, we having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believe and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore we speak. Hallelujah. So verse 33, the last verse of this chapter, 1333 of Numbers, and we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. See, there were giants before and after the flood. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. Now, we all kind of know this feeling. Somewhere in our lives, we felt so inadequate, whether it be us guys against some big dude or some tough guy, or as we now in our Christian walk face things that seem to have had the mastery over us for so long. And, you know, we got to approach this by faith, even as they were required to do here, faith came before the law. And, you know, remember Abraham and the promises of God to him were 430 years before the law was even given. 
God has always required that we walk by faith and not by sight. And again, without faith, it is impossible to please him. God has placed an absolute premium on faith and he requires and mandates that you, my friend, trust him to trust in the Lord with all your heart and to lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths and to be not wise in your own conceit. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 7, also speaking of the spirit of faith and how we speak it forth. Now, guys, that's biblical. What's not biblical is using the power of the tongue. Remember, death and life are in the power of the tongue. They that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. It To misuse that, like all of these false word of faith wolves in sheep's clothing are teaching people to go use the power of confession to confess material items for themselves in this life which is never the application of Scripture. When we declare things, it should be like Paul, I am crucified with Christ. See, these false teachers who teach the foundational truth about confession out of your mouth. Remember, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, Joshua 1.8. That's biblical. But to take that and use it to get selfishly get things for yourself in this life is a perversion of the word of God. That's where they are out of their own evil hearts. These men are men of corrupt minds, specifically. First Timothy chapter six, they're corrupted. They mind earthly things. Philippians 3, uh, 18 through 21. But our conversation, our way of life is in heaven. We're sojourning in this world world as strangers and pilgrims treading upon the narrow path which leads to life because straight is the gate and narrow is the way and few there be that find it Jesus says so believing of course and faith are essential but also speaking that faith you know there's nothing wrong with confession but what are you confessing we got a message on safeguardyoursoul.com called Confess This. Yeah, confessions of God. Now confess the cross. Colossians 3.3, 3, for example, confess the word. I am dead. It says you are dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. Now you're never going to see these frauds tell you to confess that you're crucified with Christ. Why not? Well, because they're not crucified with Christ. They're ungodly, hell-bound devils. And they certainly don't want you denying yourself, taking up your cross, following them, following Jesus, because if you do, you're going to see them for who they are. They're antichrist. So notice in verse chapter 14, verse uh, 28, and you can read these two chapters together. I highly recommend this week that you read Numbers 13 and 14. Perhaps read Numbers 13 one morning and Numbers 14 the next. But get this in you. It's very, there's so much in this. And that's not our main passage today. We're going to bounce back there and close this message here shortly. Notice verse 28, just couldn't help but throw this in there, Numbers 14, 28. Say unto them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Do we realize that God hears everything we say? And out of the abundance of our hearts, our mouths are speaking. Notice, as you have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. That's what he did in the children of Israel here, as you're going to read in Numbers 13 and 14, where most of them were not allowed to go into the promised land. 
But Joshua and Caleb had a good testimony before the Lord of the twelve spies, and they said, we are, as we read earlier in the end of the 13th chapter, we are well able to overcome. Why? Because they walked and they lived by faith and not by sight. Their eyes were ever fixed on the Lord their God, who is the most high. And when our affections are set upon him, as we seek him and relish his fellowship and communing with him, our enemies are going to be diminished going to be minuscule because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we also declare with Paul that if God spared not his only begotten son, what is it that he won't do for us? Paul on record confessing this, what shall we then say to these things? Romans 8, 31 and 32. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? In anything we face, we can say, if God be for me, if God be for us, his children, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. Then he says that nothing can separate us from God's love. And in verse 37, nay, in all these things, we are not conquerors, but more, more than conquerors through him that loved us. Our central text as we began is Exodus 23. And we're going to finish now. Notice little by little and little, Exodus 23, 30, by little and little, I will drive them out from before you until thou be increased and inherit the land. You're going to inherit this promised land as you continue in the Lord. Jesus said to those that have been saved that if, notice if, it's conditional. If you continue in my word, you got to continue learning and obeying God's word. That's how you follow Christ, period. Many people are basically following their pastor. They don't even get in the word. And when they do, it's some fake Bible, which is ridiculous. A watered down little fairy tale with the words Holy Bible stamped on the front of it. So they're basically following whatever their pastor says. And they're just floating around in a lukewarm state downstream to be to go off the cliff at the end of it. You know, they're not following Jesus. They don't diligently seek him. They've replaced seeking God, denying himself, taking up the cross, sinking or swimming every day, them independently with God for church membership and for church attendance. It's very sad. We talk a lot about that on safeguardyoursoul.com. If you go to the modern church category, you'll find a wealth of cash of data. So little and little, I will drive them out from before thee. You know, sanctification begins the moment he saves us. We're set apart. And then he's going to deliver us from our enemies. But we have to have faith. And those that don't have faith will not enter into this promised land of being truly a conqueror, one who is conquered by Christ willingly, and therefore conquering all sin in your life. Remember, the Bible says, as ye have received these promises, dearly beloved, as we have, let us cleanse ourselves from all not some, but all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear. Notice, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Second Corinthians 7, 1. May I remind you that Jesus is coming back, Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. First of all, he died to save us that he might what? Notice this, verse 26, Ephesians 5, that he might sanctify, Jesus died to save us, that he might sanctify and cleanse us with the washing of water 
by the word. So Jesus fully expects you to be completely clean, washed, and victorious over all sin, period. Doesn't matter if anybody's ever told you that or not. That's what the Bible says. He died to cleanse you and wash you by the water of his word and to set you. And how does that happen? By learning and obeying the word of God. That's the primary way God speaks to his people is through the scriptures, period. A lot of people are looking for the voice of God, running to these false prophets who are tickling their ears. And they're ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth because they haven't settled down in true repentance and got their own eyes on the word of God ingested it daily to feed and to circumcise them and to walk in the way of the Lord as stated in the divine script. You ever notice that script, S-C-R-I-P-T, is the root word, the scriptures? Hello. That he might sanctify. Jesus came and died. He gave himself for his church that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So if you're not participating in desiring, crying out to Jesus to sanctify you, perhaps you're not a part of the church. Because no born-again Christian that uh, is knows the Lord, that uh, you have to be born again, is comfortable living with sin. No, he's fighting it. I get calls from people all the time, and I say, well, I want to stop you right here. You are fighting the good fight because you're not happy that you're struggling with this sin, and that's a good sign. But, you know, we've got to lay the axe to the root, folks. We need to, There's no sin that can't be overcome when Jesus is increasing and you're decreasing, John 3.30. He must increase, but I must decrease. And that's how the little and little sanctification process happens. So Jesus, as we finish in five Ephesians 5, that he came and died for us to sanctify us by the washing of water by the word. And that happens as we hear and obey it, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's the church Jesus is coming back for, without blemish without the blemish of sin, without the stain of sin, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That's the church he's going to present himself to. That's the Joshua and Caleb of the 12 spies. And all the other 10 are those who did not inherit the promised land because they lived by sight and not by faith. They did not seek the Lord and therefore were not full of the faith of Christ. So little and little, it's little and little that I will drive them out before thee until thou be increased. That's a key word and inherit the land. You see, that's how it happens. When he is increasing, and notice the order of John the Baptist when he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. He didn't say it the other way around. The law of first mention must be observed here as a priority. He must, are you declaring that? I encourage you to declare that every day of your, he, the Lord, must increase, but I must decrease. And so as he increases, as we grow in the grace of Christ, the enemy and the evil that once controlled us is going to be leavened out. Let's talk about that before we close. As we abide in Christ, as we fight the good fight of faith. Are you fighting the good fight of faith, my friend? As we work out, not for, but work out our salvation with fear and trembling, Jesus is working in us to perfect us by displacing the evil. Iniquity is an inner drive, a tendency. A fear is being vanquished. Anguish, hatred, lust, discontent, ungratefulness, etc. As he possesses more and more 
the battlefield of our hearts and our minds. He is establishing us in his praise, no matter what is going on, good or bad. Remember Psalm 138.8. Don't you just love this? The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Aren't you glad that Jesus is perfecting that which concerns your life as you are participating in abiding relationship with Christ? John 15 and chapter 17. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, brethren, I count not myself, Paul says, to have apprehended. In other words, I have not reached full perfect sanctification, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, those things which lied before him, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let me highly recommend as a brother in Christ that you memorize Philippians 2, 13 and 14 here that I just read to you. Philippians 2, 13 and 14. So we have to obey God here deliberately, forgetting those things which are behind. You've got to let go of the past, good or bad. You've got to sever it from your life and reach forth unto those things which are before you. Amen. Today's the first day of the rest of your life. The past is just that. It's already past. We can't change it. We must forget it and must make a deliberate, willful effort and action to sever it and press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in in Christ. So by little and little, I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. We are increased, saints, and therefore the enemy is decreased. This order is important, as I mentioned earlier, as God, the initiator and author and finisher of our faith, increases We are blessed to be decreased as we comply and as we worship the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength in spirit and in truth. The people of God had been saved out of Egypt, as we read earlier, which depicts our being saved by Christ, the salvation from sin and the world. Remember the Red Sea experience, chapter 12 through 14 of Exodus. And what our main text, it's in Exodus, just a little bit further down in Exodus in the 23rd chapter. See, that's a type of salvation where he saved his people out of Egypt, out of the world. Egypt always represents the world and sin, the sinful world in the Bible. The people of God had been saved out of Egypt, and that depicts our salvation in Christ. Our sanctification from unto the Lord and away from sin. That's when sanctification begins, when we're saved by Christ. God adds to us, which pushes out the enemies. And that's what we see depicted in Jeremiah 1.10. This is an interesting verse here. It also applies to nations, but I believe also to individuals. See, I have set thee this day, he tells the prophet Jeremiah, over the nations and over the kingdoms to do what? To root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down and to build and to plant. So God removes the things that don't belong, and then he builds and plants the things that do. And as he builds and plants in his process, the things of God, the characteristics of Christ in our life, it's going to leaven out the things that do not belong and do not please him. You see, the swelling of the truth in us pushes out the evil and replaces it. If God just removes all our enemies all at once, then what would fill that vacuum? We must be increased by by him to grow in the grace of Christ and in in proportion to that in 
enlargement of Christ as we grow in his grace is the removing of the evil, the enemies, the conquering of that land of our hearts, the divine command requirement to be sanctified, set apart to the Lord to come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you is seen here in this passage. And I'll read it again here. Actually, Exodus 22, 32 and 33, thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in the land, lest they make thee sin against them. And if thou serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee. So that's what sanctification requires and involves, is a separation from the false gods worshipped by those who are not in the kingdom of Christ. So to summarize, God is little and little, little by little, driving out the enemies from our lives and increasing his blessed grace and the image of Christ in us in that resurrection that's coming out of the crucified life in order for us to fully inherit the land of his salvation and the fullness thereof where we forget not all his benefits, but we rejoice in Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. Amen. I want to encourage you dear saints, to be encouraged that God is working in you if you walk in with Jesus, if you're abiding in Christ. He's working in you both the will and the do of his good pleasure. And he's perfecting that which concerns you. And I want to encourage you to stop today and just tell him how much you love him and thank him for saving you and setting you apart for his holy purposes. First Peter, as we close, first Peter chapter two, verse nine says this, the Lord, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God bless you, saints. Glad we had these moments together. I want to encourage you and covet that you pray that would be more and more fruitful to glorify God and that he would be well pleased to touch more and more lives all over the world and also to be fully supplied for the work of the ministry. God bless you. Well, brothers and sisters, it's been a blessing to spend these moments with you in the Word of God. And remember, there's hundreds of more Christ-centered, scripture-rich, edifying podcasts on safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash audios. There's also a store page with several, many books on there for your edification in Christ. They're all scripture-rich and Christ-centered. Also, tens of thousands of saints and sinners are being reached every month, and you're your prayers are coveted for the fruitfulness and supply of this outreach. God be praised, by the way, for those who are supporting. And feel free to visit our donate page on the site. And you can use your debit card, PayPal, or Patreon. And you can become a monthly sustaining member if you choose to do so. And a gift of any amount is so appreciated. Part of this outreach is to equip and supply other ministering disciples across our great country and all over the world. And may God be praised that there's fruitfulness happening among his people and through his beloved saints as we know that the return of our Lord Jesus Christ draws nigh. And we say together in the words of Revelation 22, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.